Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. And began driving out those who were buying and selling them. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Today we're going to move things around just a little bit. We'll do our uh, time of corporate prayer together right before we have communion. But... Um, just before we begin to examine this passage, let me just ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for recording for us the story of Jesus, for showing us your heart, for showing us your character and your holiness. Lord, thank you for showing us your humanity. You're a God that relates to us so incredibly well. 
Lord, as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would transform it from either a strange or a familiar story into something that teaches us truly about who you are and what you value. Lord, also beyond that, would you use it to change us, to change me? So Lord, as we explore your word, I ask that you would let me get out of the way and that you would speak and you would bring clarity and that your Holy Spirit would speak this morning in power. Thank you in advance because we come expectantly to you, not to hear a sermon, but to your presence. So Lord, would you speak, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The clearing of the temple and the parable of the fig tree are a couple of the most confusing and oftentimes most misunderstood stories in the scripture. Um, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but, um, you know, I was tempted to say, if you really think you've got the, the parable of the fig tree, the story of the fig tree figured out, would you raise your hand and we'll trade places? Because that would probably serve us better. But what I hope to do today is show you from the scripture a little bit of what's going on, especially what we see from the Old Testament that helps to make this story really come together. Because as Mark records the the cursing of the fig tree and the clearing of the temple, he puts it into a package where they are definitely linked together. In different Gospels, when we see the clearing of the temple, it can be a little confusing because it doesn't follow exactly the same pattern. In Matthew and Luke's account, the fig tree is there, but it's not um, in the middle of, or on each side, I should say, of the clearing of the temple. And in John's account, it's something totally different. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But to give you some of the background, we need to understand what's going on here and when it happens. This happens right after Jesus rides into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry, where he is welcomed as king with people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the king rides into the city. And the one thing that he does on that first day after people have welcomed him is the scripture tells us in Mark 11, 11, it says this, and he entered Jerusalem and went to the, to the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the 12. Now, how many of you think that sounds just a little strange? Like maybe, why is that in there? Jesus goes into the temple area, looks at everything, and leaves. Well, actually, that is the key to understanding this passage. Because what the king is doing is he is making an inspection on his father's house. He's seeing how things are going there during Passover. And the reason why he is checking this out so um, significantly and wants to see what's going on is because earlier in his ministry, during another Passover, Jesus came to the temple and saw that all these booths were set up where they were exchanging money, where people were selling things. It was filled with livestock And he cleared the temple. We read about that in John chapter 2 towards the beginning of his ministry. And so Jesus is coming back looking to see if things had changed. Because this was not the normal 
um, scenario. It's not what it looked like at other times of the year apart from Passover. But at Passover, you would have a huge influx of people coming into the city. It would be like a normal summer in Prague when you actually have tourists, totally unlike what we're experiencing this year. Estimates from the historian Josephus uh, give us an idea that there may, be, may have been as many as 2 million people in Jerusalem for the Passover during the days of Jesus in his last week. Normally what would happen is they would sell the livestock on the Mount of Olives. They would set up pens over there because people needed to be able to buy the sacrifices and they needed to be able to exchange their money. Here's why. Here's why that was so significant. You see, the people would have come from all over the Roman Empire. Thousands upon thousands of travelers coming with their own currency. And much of the currency from their local areas would have had uh, um, a face on it. And to the Jews, that was an idol. Your coin that had a, a picture of Caesar on it, they saw as an idol. And so you couldn't pay the temple tax, which everyone was required to pay at Passover, with an idol. So you had to exchange your money for the Jewish shekel in order to be able to pay your temple tax. And so there was a a legitimate service being provided there in order for people to be able to participate in Passover. But when Jesus comes into it, in John chapter 2, early in his ministry, he's broken. He's angry. He sees what's going on, and the location where this happens is the key to truly understanding why Jesus is so upset. So let's look a little bit more at at the king's investigation. In order to to also put one more piece of the puzzle together, I'm just going to point you to, you can look it up later. I may have it in the the verses there. But in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, there's another little story, a parable of a fig tree that, again, seems a little strange. And in that particular story, Um, what Jesus says is that a landowner had a fig tree and he had watched it carefully for three years and was ready to cut it down. But his gardener convinced him to wait one more year to allow him to fertilize it, to try to cultivate it so that to see if it would bear fruit this year and the owner agreed to wait one more year before he cut it down. That's what was happening in the temple. Jesus had cleared out the temple at a previous Passover. He had cleared everything out and he was coming back at this time after there had been three years of his ministry, waiting to see whether people would believe the miracles, would believe his teaching, whether they would be changed or whether the same condition of the heart would be represented in the, te- in the temple, especially amongst the religious leaders. And if so, It was time for judgment. That's why the cursing of the fig tree is there. It's because the fig tree represents the broken, barren, unfruitful system that had grown up at the temple because of the corruption of the religious leaders. Understand that much of the high priests were Sadducees at this time, and they were in position of power because it had been granted to them because of their cooperation with the Roman government. And so they were exercising the duties of high priest 
not because they had a great spiritual conviction, but because it was a position of power and influence. And therefore, it was quite natural for them to also seek to become more and more wealthy. And so the temple grounds itself became a place where the very people who were supposed to care for the souls of others were focused only on themselves, on making themselves wealthy, on getting rich on others. The place that God designed to be the place of forgiveness, of healing, of hope, the scripture says had become a den of robbers. So Jesus then enacts a living parable. He goes in the night before. He looks to see if things have changed at Passover, and they haven't. And so on his way the next morning into the temple area, as he's traveling from Bethany, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, Bethany means the house of the poor, a house of affliction, where he was staying, where his heart was. He comes into the temple, which is supposed to be a place of forgiveness and of hope. And on his way, he sees a fig tree that has no fruit, that is barren. Now, it's a little confusing because it says here in this passage in Mark chapter 11 that it was not the season for figs. Well, what does that mean? Was Jesus looking for fruit when there shouldn't have been? No. The fig tree in the Middle East actually produces two crops. In the spring, before the leaves come out, it produces a small little fruit that's not as sweet, it's not as, as juicy and as plump, and it's actually called the poor man's uh, fig. It was something that those who were poor could eat and, and harvest because no one sold them. The fact that this tree was already in leaf means that it should have had this smaller fig on it, but it was barren. Jesus was hungry He wanted to have some of the fruit, but it didn't even have a poor man's fig upon it. This is reflected actually from the Old Testament in Micah chapter 7. Let me read it to you. Micah chapter 7, second half of verse 1 says, There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. Do you see, this is actually prophesying exactly what Jesus is going to experience in Jerusalem on this last week of his life with the fig tree. No first ripe fig, the poor man's fig, that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it all together. That passage is describing what was happening in the temple during Passover. And Jesus is angry. Now, to really grasp that, we need to understand that Jesus' heart was in his father's house. You remember when he was a boy, he had traveled with his parents to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, and and when the the caravan left, his parents assumed that he was with some relatives, and they had traveled a day and spent a night and discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. And so they returned to Jerusalem, and after searching high and low, they find him sitting in the temple, asking questions and interacting with the priests 
and with the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're astonished by his knowledge. And Jesus' answer to his parents when they're asking, how could you be so, so um, unthinking? How could you treat us so poorly? He says, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? You see, the temple was his father's home. It's where he had chosen to place his glory. And so it was very dear to God's heart. So Jesus is angry. He's angry because what was designed to serve the needs of humanity and draw them to God had become corrupted and vile. Now we need to apply that. Before we go a little farther and try to understand it more, we need to apply it to ourselves because the scripture tells us that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about what we do with our bodies, that we are accountable for how we use our bodies and, and to recognize that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we have been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our bodies. So one of the questions we want to ask, especially on a day when we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, is, Lord, would you examine this temple? This place that because of my faith in you, Jesus, you have chosen to make your home. Lord, show me where there is sin in my heart and life. Show me where I need to confess and repent and be transformed by you. Lord, do not let me go from this place unchanged. There's a powerful verse in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 it tells us this or do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance from that point on in the passage it goes into judgment and we need to take this passage that we see here of Jesus clearing the temple very seriously Because this is the only destructive miracle when he curses the fig tree and when he cleans out the temple. This is the only destructive miracle recorded in the scriptures. All of us are drawn to the love of Jesus, to the grace of Jesus, to the goodness of Jesus. But we must also remember he is absolutely holy and he is judge. And so we see a glimpse here in Mark chapter 11 of Jesus, the righteous, holy judge, beginning to bring into account those who say they believe in God. You see, accountability begins with us, not with the world. He will judge the world, but first he judges those who claim to follow him. And so, He has this living parable of the fig tree. He sees that it's barren and he curses it because he knows already that that is the condition spiritually of the temple. So he goes into the temple and clears it. Let's look at the third point here of the king cleansing the temple. Mark 11, 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. 
And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. See, not only was it a place of commerce, it was a shortcut. People were taking their carts and their their belongings through the temple. They were treating it lightly instead of the house of God. Verse 17, he says, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Hundreds of thousands of people were streaming in to Jerusalem. Many of them were those who were not by birth Jewish. They were interested in God. They had a spiritual hunger. They were foreigners. But they were being drawn to the Lord. And the reason I believe Jesus is so angry The reason he is absolutely upset is revealed in the two passages of Scripture that he quotes. He says, secondly, from Jeremiah chapter 7, that you have made my house a den of robbers. But first, he makes mention, and he he wants to hammer home the point from Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 through 7, where he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And this is why I believe Jesus was so upset. Because you see, if we, if we understand exactly what's happening, it'll make even more sense. But the people there, the religious leaders, and even the peoples of Israel were guilty of a twofold sin. They were robbing people of justice through the money changers, and they were robbing God of true worship. Because here's what happened. Let me put up for you a picture of the temple. And so what you see here is this is a a model uh, display of the temple in Herod's day. It's called Herod's Temple. This is what it would have looked like in in Jesus' day. And and you see these courtyards. um, In the midst of it, there's a wall that's been set up. That wall wasn't there where it was commanded because um, um, it it was something that was added. And on this side of the wall, you see it says there, the court of the Gentiles or of the nations. All of the commerce that was set up was in the court of the Gentiles. And so the one place that someone who wasn't Jewish by birth or wasn't clean or wasn't uninjured or wasn't impure, the one place that they could go to pray to God and be as close as possible to his presence was the court of the Gentiles. And the people, because of their, of their greed, especially the religious leaders, had taken the only area where a foreigner could go and filled it with booths. If you want to picture it and imagine it, it would be like the Christmas market down on Winchester Square or Old Town Square, only much, much more crowded. There were booths everywhere, and there was no place in the midst of that chaos for a foreigner to go and pray, and to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover was especially significant because if you remember when John the Baptist first sees Jesus um, coming forth there at his baptism, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. Passover was a picture of God stretching out his hands where he was going to provide rescue, protection. He was going to cover over the judgment of death on the firstborn with the blood of the lamb. Just as Jesus Christ on the cross covered over our sin and died as a sacrificial lamb for us, one who is perfectly innocent, he took your place and my place, your guilt and my guilt, and he covered it over with his perfect righteous blood. That's what we celebrate in Lord's Supper and Communion. Passover was a picture of what God was going to do just three, four days later when Jesus Christ would hang on the cross. And the scripture tells us that Jesus died at the exact moment when the Passover lambs were being slain in the temple. In that setting, Jesus is angry because it was always the mission of Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. It was always a part of their purpose. In fact, let me, let me show you. I'm going to skip around because I'm editing because I wrote, a, I know this is really surprising to you all. I wrote a sermon that was a little too long to do in three weeks. So um, listen to what it says at the dedication of the temple. When Solomon first built the temple, here's part of the prayer of dedication that it says in 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 41, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. That's a a quotation from Exodus that points directly to Passover. And when he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place, And do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and do as your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. That was a purpose, a part of the purpose of the temple was so that all the nations of the earth would discover who God is. So Jesus is angry because the nations are being prevented from coming into the temple and praying. And it breaks his heart. And the only response that he can give is to drive it out. He had already cursed the fig tree because he knew that the season of the temple was coming to an abrupt end. Even the season upon which God's presence and favor was upon Israel was coming to an end and he would begin to pour out his grace upon the nations in calling us to faith in him. But his heart was broken for his people. Now, to understand just how significant this was, on that wall that I showed you in the picture, there were signposts that were set up. And the signpost, there's a, I have a picture of it, um, says specifically this. It was written in Greek, in Latin, in Aramaic, but they only have, uh, they've discovered two copies in Greek, 
And it says this, no foreigner may enter within the, the railings beyond this, this fence around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he put blame for the death which will ensue. In other words, you can't go past this wall on penalty of death. If you go past that divider, past this marker, and you're not born as a Jew, you will be put to death. So there was nowhere for them to go. And Jesus is frustrated. He's upset. I want you to turn in your Bibles for just a moment to a passage that helps us truly understand exactly what's going on here. It's the passage Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 56. Let's look at the first few verses for just a minute. Isaiah 56 Verse one, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing evil. Here in the first part of the passage, Isaiah is is restating the expectation that God has upon everyone who claims to follow him. And those expectations, number one, are to keep justice, to treat others fairly. Secondly, to do righteousness. We are to live lives that reflect God's character and holiness. And then thirdly, to keep the Sabbath, which was a point of remembrance that represented being under God's authority and being obedient and submissive to him. It was a reminder that you would practice week after week that you and everything else belong to the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we no longer have that as a a sign of our obedience. God instead gave us the sign of the Lord's Supper. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, He is establishing a new covenant Sabbath, a new covenant remembrance that should call us into account to remember that we are to live lives accountable to God, not only as Savior, but as righteous, holy judge. And so Isaiah is setting that stage here in these verses. And then he goes on in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. You see, God in his word had made a promise that even if you weren't born a Jew, he had a place for you. But that's exactly what was happening in the temple courtyards. They were not only separated by the law, they were separated by the greed and the power-seeking of the religious leaders. And so no one could go past, who was a foreigner, could go past those markers. And it goes on, and after saying this, it says, let not the foreigner, verse three, who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Does it sound familiar? For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
What God is promising is that he's gonna make a way so that all peoples can come into his presence. For the Jews, their spiritual heritage, their spiritual pride was caught up in being descendants of Abraham. And he mentions here specifically eunuchs because they're ones who could have no physical legacy because they weren't able to have children. And yet God says, I'm going to give you a legacy, a spiritual heritage that is even better than sons and daughters. And even though in the temple right now, there's a marker that's set up that says you cannot pass, I'm going to set up a monument, a sign that says you have an everlasting name. That's God's heart for all peoples. And that's why, why Jesus was so angry. Because the very mission of Israel had been forgotten. Now, lest we judge Israel too harshly, we need to remember that the same thing happens so often in the church. That we forget our mission. That we forget who we are called to show the grace, love, and truth of God to. And we need our temple our sanctuary to be cleansed, to bring us back to remembrance of who Jesus is. Because the kingdom of Jesus is for all nations, all races, all peoples, all languages. Jesus was upset because the purpose of his house, of the temple, was to be a house of prayer for all nations.